0: just as much with us tonight. I want to announce something. I, I haven't told all the staff yet. I've told some of our staff. But uh, we did a series um, here, I think it was earlier this, either this spring or this summer, on healing. And uh, we never really, I never felt, never felt led to actually pray for people. It was more to build up and, and to encourage. But I want to let you know that on uh, Wednesday the 13th, Uh, The second Wednesday of October, we're going to have a healing service right here on Wednesday night starting at at 730. So we'll give you more information about that. But because you've tuned in tonight and you're here, you are the first to hear and to find out about that. Praise the Lord. Well, I want to get into God's Word tonight. I appreciate um, what Pastor Michael did last week. He always does a great job. And uh, we've been doing a series for a number of weeks now. Uh, and let's go to let's go to um, Romans chapter four, and we've talked a lot about this before. But Romans chapter four. Let's go to Hebrews 11 first. Hebrews eleven verse six. This is the the basic scripture on faith. We're we're learning about faith, and we're we're taking a journey together. And this scripture explains to us why faith is so important. Remember, this is not a man's opinion. This is not this is not. Uh, the Apostle Paul's opinion or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, this is God's word. This is God telling us why faith is so critical. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I believe we all want to please God. But God's telling us, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Why? He tells you why. Because in order to come to God, so what pleases God is when we come to Him. When we come to Him in worship, when we come to Him in prayer, when we come to Him just when we open the Word together, or just when we come together, because the Bible says, where two or more of us are gathered in His name, He's there with us. So He's there when we gather. He's there when you gather at, 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 at around the, the, the breakfast table, if you're believers. Ever think of that? I never thought of that before right now. He's there when you go out to eat with fellow Christians. He's there because two or more are gathered us, as long as we're gathered in his name and we're not gathered to gossip and do other things which we can easily slip into. So, in order to come to God, which is what pleases God, you must believe two things. This is why it's faith, because it takes faith to believe these things that he is. And we talked about this before. Well, we all, you're, those of you that are here watching, you believe God exists, but that's not what it's saying. It's not saying that God exists, that he is, that he's right here with us. It's totally changing my prayer life that when I begin to pray in the morning and spend time with him, I go over out loud, God, I know because your word says that you're right here with me, that right now where I am, your eyes are on me right now, that right now your ears are open to me and your heart is open to me and you're just as present to me as my breath is. And it changes my confidence in prayer. And that's what he means We must believe he is, that he's right here, that he wants to answer you because that's the second part, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that he wants to answer your prayers. He wants to come to you and he wants to answer your prayers. So this is why faith is so important because our relationship with God is developed as we learn to interact with him whether it's by praying and bringing a need to him and watching him meet that need or praying for other people or just worshiping him or just studying him in his word, anything in your heart that opens up to him and reaches out to him, he'll respond to, and out of that we begin to develop a relationship with him that's now real down inside of us. It's no longer a mental relationship. Well, I know God exists, and I know God loves me, and I know all these things, but what do you know in your heart that nobody can take away from you? And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. So we're learning about faith. Now go to Romans chapter 4. And again, I've mentioned before, this is in a section of Scripture where Paul has been preparing them, the Romans, to understand that, that we are not saved by our works, which is what the old law was in the Old Testament, but we're saved by faith in what God did for us in Christ. And then he's going to begin to teach us what faith is. So the best teaching in the Bible on what faith is, pure teaching, is in Romans chapter 4. But we're building up to that. We will end with that. Romans 4.11, he says, For I received the sign of circumcision. I'm not going to explain that again. The seal of the righteousness of the faith, which was of the still uncircumcised, that he, talking about Abraham, might be the father of all those who believe, though they were uncircumcised, that the righteous might righteousness be imputed to them. I'm not going to bother to explain that. Verse 12. And he's the father of circumcision to those who not only are of his circumcision, and this is what I wanted to get to, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So what we're looking at is the Bible teaches us that Abraham learned to walk in steps of faith. And I've taught you many times that when the Bible talks about Walking it's talking about progressing in something, growing in something. One step in front of the other is how you get from this side of the platform to the other side of the platform. A very common term that's used today is on a journey. So Abraham was on a journey through which God was teaching him, introducing him to, and then teaching him and then training him to walk by faith. And so we've been on this journey with him because we're, we're, our trust is as we go on this journey and see how God walked with Abraham and God, Abraham, we've seen him stumble, make mistakes. We're going to see some more tonight. And yet God met him where he was and helped lead him up to another level of faith. And that's why we're going through this exercise together. in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while yet uncircumcised. So I want to very quickly go back uh, and review very quickly what some of these steps were. We saw in Genesis 12 that God called Abraham to leave his family and go out to a place that he would show him when he got there. So it was the beginning of faith was to step out in that area. And I think that's part of what Pastor Michael talked about last week. Is stepping out, God calls you to leave something that's comfortable to you that you put your trust in to begin to take this step. I'm going to trust God. Then we saw he failed his first test several ways because he went to fam- when there was a famine in the land instead of trusting this God who had made a promise to bless him and take care of him. He went down to Egypt to look at Egypt to take care of him, without even turning to God. And then he weren't, more than that, he basically offered his wife up to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh wouldn't kill him to take her from him. Then in Genesis 13, we saw that when uh, we saw that when God Lot chose the fertile land that he could see, Abraham let God give to him what he could see, and he was stretching him there. And Abra in at Genesis 14. Fourteen. Abraham had to rescue Lot, but he wouldn't take the spoils, so that he could because he had declared that no man was going to make him rich. Only God would make him rich. In Genesis 15, God gives Abraham the foundation for trusting Him, and that's the blood covenant. We've talked about that before. In Genesis 16, we see that after many years, and still he's not seen this son. Uh, that no, actually in Genesis 15. We see God asked, Abraham asks God for a son, and God promises it to him. But it's Genesis 16, which some time has now passed, and he's not seen any kind of change, any kind of hope. By the way, just in case you forget, when God made that promise to Abraham, Abraham was 75 years old, and, and she was 65 years old. I just turned 76, so I can relate to what that must have been like, to be told by God that you're going to be the father of many nations. And, and not only that, but his wife is barren. She's never been able to produce children, let alone be of age where she still can physically pro- operate in reproduction. And so Abraham's struggling with that because he's seeing no change. And we're going to see that even more so as we go into this tonight. And so, see, they decide to help God to fulfill the promise. And so what they do is his wife comes to him and says, you know, if this isn't working... And so we got to help God out i 'm going to give you my servant Hagar, and you can sleep with her, and you can have this child through her and so we saw that, God, that the last time I talked with you about this, that they did this, and what we, this represents, not just represents it, what it was was they had a promise from God, and God all God required of them is to believe him that 's all he required without faith it's impossible to believe to please God because he requires that faith. And because it was, didn't seem to be working and they became, I don't want to use the word impatient because it was years, they just lost, they let, go of, they let go of the faith that he had and decided we better help God out. And so they had a child through Hagar, his wife's servant. And we'll see tonight a little more of what happened with that. And so, so he couldn't hold on to his faith. And so then we saw in Genesis 17, last time, God's response to that. Isn't, isn't it interesting? God didn't get mad at him. God didn't cross him off his list because he stumbled, because he isn't growing, because it's a walk of faith. It's growing in faith. It's a journey of faith. And God will meet you where you are in that journey as long as you're willing to grow with him, even though you make mistakes. God will meet you in that journey, but he'll challenge you. So what God did in Genesis 17 is God God reinstituted he, he, he reinforced the covenant by going through some more steps in the entering into that covenant. And the covenant, if you remember, was to give Abraham an assurance that the promise God made to him was actually going to come, come about. And at that time, and this was something I'd never seen before the last time we taught on this, is God introduces a new name for himself. God calls Himself by names in the Old Testament to reveal some aspect of Himself. So God, in 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 uh, in, in when when the children of Israel, uh, uh, when, uh, first go get crossed over from the Red Sea, and God promises that He's going to be their 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 healer, He reveals Himself as Jehovah Rapha, the God. I am your physician. I want to be your healer. I am your healer. And we talked about that in the series we did on healing. There's other places where God reveals himself as his shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We were sharing this in a staff meeting a few weeks ago, and uh, Stephanie, our our bookkeeper, uh, who's Haitian, speaks French, she said the interesting thing is the French version of Psalm 23 is, I love this, the Lord is my shepherd, what else could I want? Isn't that neat? So other translations can help you get a depth to it sometimes. So we saw that God renews this covenant with Abraham, and, Abraham's, and God reveals himself to Abraham by a name he's never shared before that time. And he says, if you will walk right before me, for I am the Lord God all." Mighty. This is the first time God refers to himself as Almighty. The Hebrew word is El Shaddai. And he's telling God, because Abraham's struggle here is, is, I know God told me this, but this is impossible. We look at what's got to be done. I mean, I'm now, at this point he was 85 or 86. I'm now 86 years old. My wife's now 76 and she's barren. And I'm just, you know, reproductively, I'm dried up. It's just not going to happen, and, and there's no way this can happen with our natural understanding. And we talked about that last time, because we'll see it again tonight, because we respond so often to what God says He wants to do in terms of our human understanding of what's possible. We, I called it last time, we have boundaries or limits of what we think can happen, and it's based on our human understanding. So in this case, it is humanly impossible for a couple to have a child when they're pa- when when she is when she has gone through menopause and she 's dried up, but this woman was barren when she was twenty she couldn 't have a child, so that it 's physically impossible for them to do that, and that 's exactly the situation God chooses to work in, and we 'll see that down the road so so that 's beyond their limit. And we talked about when 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 Jesus comes walking on the sea in the middle of the storm, and they look up and they see this man, they see this vision walking on the sea in a storm. They have to interpret it in terms of their own mental boundaries of what's possible, so they conclude it's a ghost because a man can't walk on water. But before that story's over, not only did Jesus walk on water, but Peter walked on water. So Jesus got them outside the boundaries of what they understood was possible by showing them what in God's kingdom is possible. And so God is showing Abraham, I understand you don't know what, you have human limitations, all what can be done, but I'm not one of you. I am God Almighty. And we'll see him reintroduce, reintroduce that to them again. And we saw that when God reveals this to him, Abraham laughs and then offers up Ishmael to God as an answer. And we ended up by looking at how this applies to us. We went over into Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul draws this contrast between between what the Old Testament law required, which was that you're standing before God based on how obedient you were to all the rules of the law which started out in 10, and by the time they were through, it was 613 laws they had to keep. And there's no way they could perfectly keep them. But all the pressure was on them for their obedience. And their standing before God was based on how obedient, perfectly obedient, they were to obey the law. And so, but he contrasts that or compares that with the New Testament covenant that we're under through Christ... And all that requires is that God, we believe in what God did for us that we could not do for ourselves. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. So we're going to get into the next chapter in this version, in this story, which is Genesis 18. And we'll just read down through the first section of it. So now where we pick up, Abraham is now 99 years old. He's now older than I am. I know it's not didn't seem possible but it is. And when he was the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth tree of Mamre and he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted up his eyes this is Abraham and looked and behold there were 3 men standing by him. Now these are angels representing God. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed down to the ground. And he said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. But please, let a little water be brought to wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree. And I will bring you a morsel of bread, that you may refresh your hearts, and after that you may pass by. Inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah, that's his wife, and said, Quickly make three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a tender good calf, gave it to the young man and hastened to prepare it. So he took bread and milk and the calf. Okay, so what's happened here is he's approached by these three angels and he's offering them refreshments. He recognizes that they have come from God. So let's read on down, verse 9. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, well, she's here in the tent. And he said, then he says to her, "I I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And she was sitting in the tent door, which was behind them. Now, as I was looking at this, I began to see a progression here. God, when he first speaks to Abram back in Genesis 12, makes a very general promise. He says, first of all, I will bless you. We've talked about what that means. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and I will make you into a blessing. That's a very general, very general promise. And then we saw over in Genesis 13, he shows Abraham the land that he's going to give him and said, you will have many descendants that will fill this land. And then in Genesis 15, when God takes this step we've talked about, about beginning to enter into a covenant, Abraham now gets specific because God's making these big promises. You know, I'm going to bless you. You're gonna, I'm going I'm to bless you and you're going to have this land. And, and Abraham is now beginning to process this. So Abraham, for the first time, asks for something. And he asked for what is the desire of his heart. And he says, right now, we've talked about this before, he says, right now the only heir I have in my house is my servant, Eleazar. Because the practice back then was, if you died without a male heir, you had the right to choose one of your servants and essentially adopt them as your heir. And they would become part of your family. And he didn't want to do that. He would much rather have his own heir. But it was impossible now. They were too old. So when God's making these bold promises, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to enter into this covenant with you, Abraham's answer is, what am I going to get? Now we read in Hebrews 11, without faith it's impossible to please God, because in order to come to him, you must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Many times I think we don't really ask from our heart What our real desire is, is because we really don't believe God's going to do it or can do it. And we may not admit it to anybody in church. We may not even admit it to ourselves. But we'll hold back and protect ourselves. But now Abraham's inspired enough. God's done this twice. He's beginning to cut this covenant with him. And now Abraham's getting bold to ask for what he really wants by saying, Right now, the only heir I have is my servant. And, and, you know, I want to have a son. And then God promises him that he's going to give. So the, 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 the response that God's giving is getting more specific. So now here we see, because now it's, it's, they've gone on for 24 years, and nothing's happened except what Abraham has tried to produce on his own. And now get, God gets specific as to a time. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And your Sarah, wife, your Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. What he's saying is nine months from now, you're going to have a child. Sarah's going to bear a child to you. So God's now getting specific as to the promise, as to the time. Notice that didn't happen right away. There are times God makes promises to us. Maybe they're from the Word. Maybe they're promises He's spoken to you. It may be about a relative. It may be about a child. It may be about a parent. Somebody that you've been trusting God for. believing. And it looks like nothing's happened. See, these stories are relevant to where we live. Maybe you've been believing God for a healing in your body. Maybe God's given you a vision for something He wants to do in your life or through you. And it looks like nothing's happening. And what do we do in that time? Because often God waits. Because when we get a promise from God, we want to get in gear and help God out, just as Abraham and Sarah did. Especially when we don't see results, when we think we should be seeing results. But faith involves trusting God, no matter what you see or don't see. And so sometimes God has to let us run out of our own efforts, just to see what we can do. Sometimes it takes a while so you even forget what God promised you so that when it happens, you know it was God, and God gets the glory. So now God's gotten specific with him, and he says, nine months from now, your wife Sarah's going to bear a child. Now God's on the line. See, when, when we just take a general promise or we ask God for something and it's just kind of general, and this is often what we oh, Lord. My desire is that you bless the world. My desire is world peace. Well, God wants you to be specific with Him. Faith is specific with God. Because, you see, when we're specific with Him, we can tell whether we got the answer or not. But if it's something general, Lord, bless my wife, bless my family, you know, and, and, and you know she got a raise that day. Oh, God, thank you. You blessed her. But you don't know for sure whether that was God or just... She was going to get what raised anyway. And so when we're specific with God, God wants us to be specific with him because God wants to show us that it was God and God alone that did that. And that will build your faith like nothing else and your confidence in him. So we see Abraham became specific and now God's getting specific. So if this doesn't happen in nine months, and by the way, they'll know before nine months because she'll get pregnant pretty soon. Then, then we'll know God's not, God didn't keep his word, but God did keep his word. So let's look down at verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she'd gone through menopause. Therefore, look at this. After all this, this specific problem, three angels showed up. And Sarah laughed saying, after I'm grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? So sometimes the supernatural doesn't actually convince us because faith has to grow in your heart, not from your natural senses. So she see, she's not been part of these conversations before. These are things God has spoken to Abraham. But she, as far as we can tell, she's not... Heard God speak yet? But she's now heard three angels show up and speak to her husband, and he made sure, the angels made sure she was there so she could hear it. And ha- still, having heard it from three angels, she's looking at her body, she's looking at how old she is, and she's saying, This just ain't going to happen. She laughs. It gets even better. Look at verse 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Surely I shall bear a child since I'm old? Verse 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? There it is again. I am the Lord Almighty. She's struggling. She's struggling with believing that this can possibly happen. This is, I just have a sense in my spirit. This is so important for someone tonight. This helped me last time we did this. To expand your understanding of what God can do. Because when, how, the question is, how big or how small is your God? Oh, I know we come to church and we worship You are God Almighty. We worship, we sing songs about how powerful He is and how glorious He is. We sang about the power of the blood, and there's no place the blood can't go and it can't bring its power. We sing about that in church, but the reality of what we believe is in what we ask for and what we expect. When you're facing an overwhelming situation, how big is your God? How big is the God that lives in you? How big is the, your God that you're in covenant with? The Bible says in, Hebrew, in Ephesians three eight three twenty, for my God is able to do, talking about what God's capable of doing, exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask or think. In other words, when you come to the end of not just what you can ask, but what you can think, that's where God's ability takes over. For my God... Is, see, <laughs> this was Paul writing this. Paul was telling the Ephesian church how big his God was to try to expand their faith to grow in their understanding of how big that same God was for them. Do you have any idea how big God wants to be for you in your life? How big God wants to be for you in your life? In your finances, whatever you're facing tonight, those of you that are watching online, some of you may be facing an impossible situation. We've been there. We've been in impossible situations where we—I don't want to go through the details. But we don't have time tonight. We had nowhere to live. I've got four kids and a wife. And when I finally cried out to God and really called upon Him, He had an answer for me like that. I've been in a situation because of my own stupidity where we really completely went broke. And when I finally cried out to God, He already had an answer right there for me. But I had to cry out to Him because I had to realize instead of trying to figure out, this is what we do, We get ourselves into a difficult situation or find ourselves dumped into a difficult situation. And we immediately try to figure out how to get ourselves out. Who can help me? So we call somebody. We go on Facebook or whatever, and we try to tell everybody what the problem is, and we get all kinds of different advice and offers of help. Who do you turn to in an emergency? Who do you turn to when you've run out? Who do you turn to when you're really discouraged and at the end? Who do you turn to when you're ready to give up? That's who you've got your trust in. And the Bible says, if you're a Christian, there's one living inside of you right now who is able, he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all you can think or ask. Because he is all mighty God and he says about himself is there anything is there anything too hard for the Lord that created the heavens and the earth with his words when we go on in Romans 4 we'll see what Abraham grew to believe because his faith was in a God who can raise the dead and beyond that this God can call things into existence that never existed before. So is a dried-up womb too difficult for him? Story, a testimony I heard of some people, I don't know them personally, but I know of them. And this woman, this family, had a child that the, I don't remember the details, but they had, the child had a, 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 a deformity in her, her digestive system so that she could not keep any food in. And, and, and the, she'd had operations, and the doctors had basically sent her home. She was like three or four years old. The doctor had sent her home from a major hospital in England, saying, there's nothing more we can do. Basically, you need to prepare, because this child will eventually starve to death and die. And they heard of this ministry, and they'd gotten a hold of some of his tapes and found out that he was in the area and went to visit him and got a, a long story how they got to meet him. And this child is, 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 in a, in a, is in a stroller. And, of course, they've been told all kinds of things by the doctors. And the doctors do their best better based on human knowledge and human understanding within those boundaries of what our minds and our understanding can conceive as possible. And in this little girl's case, her constitutional condition was now outside that boundary, where there was nothing else they could do. But this was a man of real faith, the kind we're talking about. And they brought this little girl up to him, and they told him the whole story, and they'd been told such terrible, terrible prognosis by everybody before. And he looks at the child, and he hears their story and he said that's a piece of cake for God and they kind of were stunned because you see he believed is there anything too hard for the Lord no the only thing God can't do is to make us believe him make us trust him and he laid hands on this little girl and then just that was it he didn't make some big thing he just laid hands on her said, in the name of Jesus, I command your organs to be whole and well. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And he went his way. That's it. No spitting, yelling, crying, sweating. You know, no great gyrations. He literally trusted that Jesus meant what he said. When you speak in my name, I will make sure it's done. So they left there. They put her in the van and they drove by a McDonald's. And she pointed to it that she was hungry. So they drove in there, and now they got to decide. Are we going to believe that this girl's healed? Because if we give her something to eat, she could choke on this and die right now. They had to decide whether they believed that this was done. And they chose to do that, and they took her in there, and she ate two cheeseburgers and some fries, and she wasn't capable of doing that. And the last report I heard, she was like 20-some years old, healthy and well. Is there anything? You need to ask yourself that. I just have this sense of dwell. Is there anything in your life right now, any need you have, that's too hard for God? Is there anything that's too hard for God? God who is almighty But here's the issue, because he said, Paul says, My God, the God I believe in, is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all you can think or ask. And then here's the kicker, according to the power that dwells in you. Not in heaven, in you. And that's where the block is. Because the block for that power to flow out of you is located between your left ear and your right ear. It's in your mind and your understanding in the limits. Because you will not act out something that's beyond what you can see in your heart happening. So you have to renew your mind to... Who this God is that lives in you. And what this God who lives in you can do. That's why it's so important to go back over stories in the Bible. What has this God done before? And I'll do this regularly. Father, we've got a family situation. This looks absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible. I sat down and I met with him. I, I saw the situation. I'm looking. I, I, it's one of these things, you know, because I'm designed in my mind to come up with answers. Well, I could do this, and maybe we could do this, and we could help and do this, and we could do this. But this was one that was so overwhelming, there's just nothing I can do. It's, just, it's, it's humanly hopeless. And then I felt God begin to talk to me about this. Yeah, it's hopeless to you. But now you can let it go to me. Is there anything too hard for me? And I started reminding God of the things he's done. I said, yeah, you're the same God that's parted the Red Sea. So that two million people crossed on dry land. And then when they were done, you caused that same water to come around and swallow up the mightiest army on the face of the earth at the time. You're the same God that has raised the dead. You're the same God that spoke to withered hands and it grew out. You're the same God, and then I went over my life, things God's done for me. This is why you need to go over the things God's done for you, the situations you've been in, that God's brought you through and brought you out of, healings, because God should prove to you what he is able to do. And we limit what God's able to do in our lives by our own understanding of it. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I want to talk about the rest of this chapter because it shows you another aspect of Abraham's relationship that had developed with God. So let's go down to verse 16. Then the men arose from there and they looked towards Sodom. Remember who's there? Lot's there, his nephew. And Abraham with with them to send them on the way. And look at this. The Lord. So this is the Lord speaking through these angels. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken of. Notice what these the Lord is saying to him. He's got a relationship with Abraham where he's saying, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? I want to involve him in what I want to do. I'm showing you this because Abraham has now grown in this faith relationship where God is now responding to him. And I'll show you in another, another way how this applies to us in a few minutes. Okay. And notice what he's saying here. I won't hide from him what I'm going to do. Why? Because God has bestowed a blessing upon him. God has known him and knows that he will be faithful to reproduce in his children what God has done. See, God's invested in you but he wants to pass it on to your children. God is a generational God. He's not just God for you, but he wants to pass it on to your children. He wants the blessing that he's done in your life to affect others' lives, your children, and then their children. That's the ideal way that God wants to do it. So because God is going to multiply Abraham through this child of the promise, Isaac, God, has, God chose Abraham in part because he knew he would raise his children according to what God did with him. And because he would pass that blessing on. So God is saying to him, basically, I want to include Abraham In what I'm doing now, this this runs completely against religion. Religion teaches us that God's sitting way up on high, and that 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 you know, if we approach Him, we have to approach Him a certain way. We've got to genuflect or cross ourselves or say certain words. We have to be in in just the right place. We have to be we have to be just so, because this is a holy God, and He is a holy God. He is a holy God. And God set everything up so we can have a relationship with him. But religion robs us of a relationship, a real living relationship with God. But not only does it it rob us of a living relationship with God, listen to this, it robs God of a living relationship with you. The very end of the book of, not the end of, Matthew chapter 24, 25, and 26, there's in there... Jesus gets angry. He gets angry at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, the religious religious leaders. And if you read carefully what he's angry at, he's angry because they have established boundaries and walls that keep the people away from a relationship with their God. And he's angry for his father's sake. Because it's robbing their father, his father, of this relationship with them that God wants to have with them. Remember, everything in the Bible is about restoring back what God originally created in the Garden of Eden, and that was nothing more than an intimate, real, living relationship between God and that man and that woman. And God wants that restored. So here we see you know we see God Jesus was angry because the religious leaders were blocking people from coming they were setting they were setting obstacles in their way and religion does that today tells you all the things you have to do or can't do and if you haven't done them right or can't do them right, then you really can't come to God and God's angry at you. And you better be careful because just God's just looking for some way. If you're not just a perfect good do-be you know, and do everything right, God's angry at you. And what does that do? It causes us to pull back and do just what Adam did. After he sinned in the garden, he hid from the presence of God. And that's what religion does. It causes us to pull back from God. And here we see examples of where God, God wants to talk to Abraham. He wants to involve him in what he's doing. And so he says, should we, should we go do what we're about to do without somehow including Abraham in what we're going to do? In verse 20, he begins to reveal... Oh, I want to show you something. John 15, verse 12. Can you put that up there, please? Now, this is Jesus' last conversation with his disciples he says this is my commandment that you love one another even as I have loved you next verse greater love has known this that he lays down his life for his friends What's the word becomes important you are my friends if you do whatever I command you now I used to read that go back to that I used to read that through religious eyes or ears, and hear that saying, if you do what I say, then I'll be your friend. And that didn't draw me close because my old image is, yeah, I can do some of what you say, but I'm not going to do it perfectly because I'm going to fail at times. So I guess I'm not going to end up being one of your friends. And that's not what Jesus is saying. What he says here is because you are a friend of mine, you will do what I command you. Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, to understand the depth of what Jesus is saying, We have to understand that the word "friends" in the Bible has a very different meaning than it does in our normal colloquial language. To us, friends can be somebody that you know I just like. You know, hey, you're a good friend of mine. Nice to see you. We're friends. You're friends with so and so. Yeah. In fact, nowadays with social media, friends has almost no meaning. You befriended me. Now you took me off as a friend. It's like it makes that's not real friendship. Friendship is a commitment so that when everybody else deserts you and you've really messed up, a friend is still there for you. The Bible says we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The word friend is a covenant term. It means more than I like you or you like me or we go to lunch every once in a while or we hang out together or we just have a lot in common. It means a commitment. In fact, the proverb says it's closer commitment than that of blood, brother. So Jesus is saying here, you're no longer servants. You're not just serving me, but you have a new relationship with me. You are now in a covenant friends relationship. And because of that, I will reveal to you whatever I know. I'm holding nothing back from you. So there's the New Testament fulfillment for us, and we're friends. We're in that same relationship. The Bible calls Abraham a friend of God, and here we see an example of that. He's his covenant friend, committed friend. So we'll go back now to Genesis 18, verse 20. And the Lord says, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great because of their sin is very grave. Now, we're not going to get a chance to get into it. We may, I don't think we. Next, next chapter gives you what the depravity is. I mean, it was all kinds of sexual perversion. So much so that when the angels come down to appear and Lot brings them into his house. The men of the community come out, try to beat the door down to bring the angels out in order to have physical relationships, homosexual relationships with these angels. The depravity was so bad that it got to God's ears. Because the outcry against Solomon Gomorrah is great because their sin is very grave. Verse 21. I will go down now and see whether they have done according to all the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Verse 22. The men turned to go away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. So what's going to happen here is out of these three angels, two of them are going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. One of them is going to stay and talk with Abraham. And Abraham, now watch what's happening here, because this is the Lord physically present in the form of an angel talking to Abraham. And Abraham came near and said, Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, in religion, you will never question God, at least outwardly. Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also... Now, go back to verse 23. Look what he's doing. He's challenging God by saying, You're a righteous God, and would you do something that's unrighteous with regard to your judgment of this city. So he's appealing to God's character and nature as a righteous God. And notice he doesn't get upset about this. Verse 24. Next verse. Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare the 50 righteous that were in it? In other words, because you are righteous and you want to destroy the city, but what if there's 50 righteous people in it? Would you destroy them along with the wicked? So he's appealing to God based on God's character and nature. This is very important for us. Far be it for you to do such a... This is pretty bold thing to say to God. You don't have a right to do this, God. Far be it from you to say such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham is arguing God's own character back to him. And the Lord said, All right, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous men within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. Look what's happening here. God's going down there with the intention of destroying the city, and Abraham's now talked him into sparing it if he can find 50. So Abraham comes a little bolder. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I am who am but dust and ashes. In other words, I know that you and I are not on the same plane, but I've taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. See the confidence and boldness he has because of this covenant relationship. Now, I want to stop here because... Pause here. Because what we're looking at is intercessory prayer. Abraham's praying for somebody... Other than himself, who deserve judgment, and he's put himself between those people that deserve judgment and God, who is a righteous, holy judge, and he's arguing their case based on God's character and God's nature. Indeed, now if I'm, to, let me speak. Verse twenty-eight. Then suppose there are five less than fifty. He's a good Jew. He's bargaining with him. Would you destroy all the city just because of a lack of five? And he, God said, all right, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again. He said, all right, suppose there's 40 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. He's getting God to change what he's going to do. Because he's arguing with God a case for them. And see, we have this image of God. First of all, that, well, God's absolutely, absolutely predestined everything. So what good does it do to argue with God? But God tells us to come and argue with him. And Isaiah, I think it is, he says, come and argue me with me that you may be proved right. God's the only being I've ever known that wanted me to argue with him so I could win. My wife's never done that with me. I've never done that with her. So God wants us, he, for whatever reason, God wants us to come. Because Notice what happens. In this process, there's a deepening of the intimacy and in relationship. There's a give and take here. And then he said, well, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak, but suppose there are 30 found there. So now he's jumping by 10. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Indeed, now I've taken it upon my spoke to speak to the Lord. Suppose there's only 20 found there that are righteous. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. One more. And then he said, Let not the Lord be angry. I'll speak once more. Suppose there's 10 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. Read the last verse. So the Lord went his way as soon as he's finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Now there's nothing to say that if he went down to five, the tragedy we'll find out is that God couldn't find ten righteous men in the city. But the point here is this. The point here is that the covenant that God had with Abraham gave Abraham a boldness a relationship where they could interact together and Abraham could plead his case remember what we started with Hebrews 11 6 without faith is, this pleases God it pleases God when we come to him and present our case to him boldly because it expects him I remember one time I was, we were in Bible school and I've told this story before but you may not have heard it, you may not remember it. And I was plagued up until then with, with a, a condition. It wasn't, a, wasn't serious other than it was debilitating. I would break out in giant hives, unexpectedly. And, and, and if they broke out on my foot or my face, it would just immediately just swell up like this. And I had medicine for it, but it would just knock me out, and I hated taking the medicine. And we're now in Bible school. I've done what God wanted me to do. I've left my law practice. I've moved my family halfway across the world, it felt to me. My family's unexpectedly doubled in size. And now I'm in Bible school, a faith school, by the way, taught by, the, by, by an apostle of faith, and I'm still breaking out of these conditions. You know, and I, I, would, I would make faith confessions, and I would do faith things, and nothing was working. Until one day I got mad. It happened one more time. And I remember I went into our bedroom and I closed the door. I'm going to have this out with God. And I went through my case. And I, I said, God, I've left law practice. None of this had anything to do. God doesn't owe me anything. But I argued what was in my heart. I said, I've left my law. I've done everything you want me to do. I'm in a faith school and I'm still having with this. This shouldn't be. And I was mad at God. And all of a sudden I heard from God, now you're in faith. And it stunned me but I've been making faith confessions I've been reading my Bible I've been doing all the things I was supposed to do so that you would heal me but none of it came out of my heart it came out of things I thought I was supposed to do but when I got to the point when I was frustrated with God it meant that somewhere down inside I believed it should have happened and I didn't see it and I'm asking why and God called that faith it came out of the cry of my heart but many places in the Old Testament, it says they cried unto the Lord. It speaks of a cry coming out of your heart, saying, why is this happening? Father, this is what I need, not because I know this is the right thing to say or the right thing to do. And this is what Abraham's doing here. He's crying out to God on behalf of them, and it pleased God. And when I did that, the Lord showed me immediately... What I was doing wrong. I was doing the right things, but I had never meditated on the word and got it into my heart. So I determined I'm going to take this next week. And every moment my mind does not have to be focused on something. I took one scripture, and it wasn't even a healing scripture. And I meditate on that. I went over that and over that and over that. I talked to myself. Every literally every spare moment I had, from the time I got up until I fell asleep at night, if I woke up in the middle of the night, I went over to that scripture. It was Romans eight thirty two. I just forgot what the scripture said. <laughs> if he if he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also together with him freely give us all things, including my healing. And I went through that for about a week, and about a week later, one of these things started popping out on me again, and I spoke to it, and there was a power that came out of me that shook me. I'd never felt it before. And it came right up out of me, spoke to me, the thing stopped instantly, and never came back. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, Beyond all, we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. I'd never release that power because I really didn't believe that God had done that for me. I don't know why I'm sharing that tonight with you. So, because of the covenant relationship God had with Abraham, he was able to bargain and to plead. Uh, this, This... uh, Charles Finney, the great evangelist, who was also a former lawyer, uh, would, would, would say that there were times, because when he had these great revivals, I mean, he went into cities like Rochester, New York, and when he was finished with his revival, all the, all the bars, nightclubs, all the movie theaters shut down, not because he told people not to go. Nobody cared to go anymore. They were in church every night. Not because they had to, because they wanted to. They were on fire for God. And it all happened because the Spirit of God moved and touched people's hearts. But he would pray for hours. He would get up at 4 in the morning and go out and pray over that revival. And he would come to the place in prayer where he would dare to tell God, you cannot let this service happen without there being a revival. You dare not let this night go by. He was bold with God, but he was doing it out of reverence. not just, But see, he wasn't being religious. He was doing it out of this relationship with God. And it pleases God when we're real with him. Because it shows we have con- This is what Hebrews 11.6, because it pleases him when we come to him. When we come to him, really come to him, with the needs in your life, your family, your people that you love and care about. That's Abraham. But you and I are in Christ. If you are are a Christian, the Bible says, in fact, the only way you can be a Christian is to be in Christ. He's joined you together with him. You are one spirit together with him. You dwell in him and he dwells in you. John 15, Jesus' last instruction to disciples. I am the vine and you are a branch. Abide in me. Live in me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Prayer fruit. He's in you. So how much bolder Can we be then, Abraham, when you come to God in your request, it's literally Christ coming to him, asking him. Can you imagine that he would deny Christ anything he asks him? Jesus had this confidence. John chapter 11 was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He says, Father, I know that you hear me. You always hear me when I pray. Do you have that same confidence? But if you know you're in Christ and he's in you, you should have that same confidence. That's what John realized when he wrote in First John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have before God, that if we ask anything in accordance with his will, he hears us. And we talked to you in the beginning, I said, I now start my prayer time. God, I know you're here. Your ears are open to me. There's scripture for that. If you ask anything in accordance with his will, we know that he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, we have the request we've made known of him. Why? Because you're in Christ. So you and I come to God from a much stronger position than even Abraham. When you come arguing the case for your relatives, your loved ones, when you argue your case for whoever God's put on your heart, it's Christ coming interceding for them because you're coming in him. Wherever you go, Jesus goes. Jesus goes. That may change some of the places you decide to go. Whatever you watch, Jesus watches. Whatever you listen to, Jesus listens to. Whatever you post online, Jesus is posting because you're one with him. How well are you representing him? Because we don't think of ourselves as being one with him we're going to end this here I just keep feeling impressed to encourage you and challenge you in how real God wants to be to you how real God wants to be to you he wants to be more real to you than your spouse because he lives in you He wants to be more real to you. I mean real. So that you can have an ongoing conversation with him throughout your day. And think of who that is you're talking with. He knows everything. He can do anything. And he's available to you 24 hours, 7 days a week, 365 days a year except leap year. Then it's 366. He doesn't take February 29th off. He desires to be so real to you, tangible to you, that you're aware of him every waking moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the example that you've given us in Abraham and the encouragement that I believe you're speaking to us as each one of us is on a journey in our faith. Some of us may be way back at the beginning. Some of us may be much further along. But you don't compare us to one another. You meet each of us right where we are. And all of us on this journey have stumbled. We've made mistakes. We've gotten angry. We've gotten discouraged. We've wanted to quit. But you've never quit on us. And you never will. Help us to understand where we are in our faith. Because that's where you will meet us. And help us to learn to trust that we're not walking this journey on our own. But that you are at work in us. Both to will and to do your good pleasure. That you're committed to us to finish this race, to finish this journey victorious. So I pray for everyone here this, this evening, Lord, that you will give them a greater awareness of your love for them and your presence in their lives. And For this we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.